Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller and Marjorie Hay with the Axis Effect. I'm super excited to be here with Nick Evans, the CEO and co-founder for Upshot, a financial infrastructure for NFTs. And it's such good timing to have you on the show, Nick, given the whole chaos of the NFT market. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's, it's I mean, you know, it's exciting. Like I'm so for NFTs, as long as I use the right way, but some mm-hmm. use them the wrong ways, and it just becomes a big shit show. But like I, I love this because you said you guys you evaluate the NFTs. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Because I know they're just based on whatever the artist says they're worth, it's a digital art. But talk to us about how you guys have 57 million plus NFTs appraising. What goes into appraising an NFT? Yeah, so it's a bunch of things. It's not too dissimilar from how we have appraisers of real estate or appraisers of of physical art. You uh, take into account sort of the properties of the NFT comp values, who's generally holding NFTs that are similar to this and the value that that imposes on the NFT and a bunch of different factors. And what we do is is we build some pretty advanced machine learning models that take in a bunch of these inputs, make sense of them in some sort of like intelligent way, and then spits out prices based on what those models kind of declare or predict the value of those NFTs are. And and we'll be able to build these models in a way that like can be quite accurate and can appraise incredibly large amounts of NFTs at a, like a really rapid frequency. Instead of needing an individual appraiser on site every time you need to reprice the NFT, we can reprice tens of millions, hundreds of millions of NFTs even on a sub-hourly cadence. Is that is that just keeping it realistic? Like you know, like when the board ape yacht club came out, it was like two million eight hundred thousand. It was completely insane. Since the markets drop, do you guys look at what the market could bear now, just like any appraisals, what the artwork's like, who the artist was based on pixels, based on colors, based on what people want? Does all of this come into play to say, hey, that $3,000 NFTs were only worth 20 bucks, 30 bucks, drop your price, sell more, make more money long term? Is that kind of the gist of it? Yeah, that's the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, like these these things got pretty crazy during the, the bull market. They were going for pretty high numbers. But at the same time, that is what the market was was sort of quoting them at. And so that was the, uh, in quotes, kind of the true value of those NFTs at the time. As outrageous as it may have seemed, as outrageous looking back, especially, it kind of seems to have, have been the case. That is what the market was saying. And at the end of the day, the market is the kind of great arbiter of truth. What the market says is law when it comes to valuation. And so that's that's what we we have to go off of more than anything else when it comes to appraising these things as well. You know, this is such an interesting, because we had a lot of NFT talks, but your business is so interesting. Where, where did you come up with the thought to be like, hey, we're going to be the number one online appraisers of NFT versus like, we're going to sell crypto or we're going to create NFTs. Where was the inspiration? Yeah, it's kind of an unconventional path. So before this, I was leading blockchain development at John Hancock and, and Manulife, large asset manager insurance company. And we were doing a bunch of research around kind of decentralized insurance systems and how you can build out insurance products in a decentralized setting without the need for a, an insurance company at the center. And a lot of the problems that you face when doing that are around like 
subjective consensus, like reaching agreement to answers to questions uh, that are subjective in a decentralized way. If you want to create decentralized insurance, you need to be able to verify claims in a decentralized way, which are subjective. You need to be able to assess risk in a decentralized way, which is subjective. And so we were doing a lot of this kind of general research around subjective consensus. And when thinking about our kind of go-to-market Insurance was on the table. Obviously, that was our background. That's that's like a compelling market to enter. But we had also personally been into NFTs since kind of the beginning of NFTs in 2017 and started to see the very early signs of an NFT hype cycle brewing. This was around mid-2020. And we we anticipated kind of these problems existing, this problem of price discovery. NFTs are non-fungible. They're each unique from one another and they don't change hands very often, which is how like assets are priced, essentially. It's that transfer of ownership and the price dictated in that transfer of ownership that is what allows assets to be priced efficiently. And that doesn't happen frequently enough with NFTs for that to be the sole means of pricing them. We quickly drew these analogs between NFTs and real estate and physical art. And we thought it would be a like a really compelling opportunity and more so like a kind of necessary piece of infrastructure if NFTs were to grow to the kind of size of market that they're they're capable of, given how kind of expressive and kind of large of an opportunity they represent. So who benefits from this? Is it just for the people looking for the best value, like kind of like cars the best value for what they want or do you work with the people who are minting the nfts who need to really make sure they're on the right cost you know they're in the right markets they could connect with people looking for that type or style of nft yeah there's an element of that but more so the former i'd say if people like wanting to interact with these markets both the retail traders trying to find good deals but also kind of market makers and more sophisticated traders or, or actors in the market too wanting to participate in more complex financial interactions and then a lot of like the the customer base for this data as well are, are people building platforms or other products centered around nfts a marketplace benefits from having appraisals next to each nft in their marketplace to inform their customers someone building a like uh, kind of underwriting loans against NFTs benefits from knowing the the value of that NFT in real time. And as you start to fall down the rabbit hole and really start to explore the vast design space of like financial infrastructure and instruments that can be built around NFTs, appraisals become a, a really kind of necessary component to enable all of those. Well, I feel like it, it helps. Like if I had a thousand NFTs, I feel like you'd be the company we want to work with to make sure we're appraised at the right price, we're in the right marketplace, and we know where we're moving in order to sell as many as possible. For sure. Yeah. The application of appraisals is is incredibly broad. And that that is definitely one of the applications of it. You know, I used to work a lot in the art industry and, you know, appraisal is very subjective. So can you tell us maybe about something that came across your desk that you're like, wow, this is just crazy how this got appraised, or this is just one of the most interesting NFTs I've seen. Yeah, there's not a ton of super specific examples there just because of the size we're operating at. But what, what's interesting is that with a lot of these NFTs that exist today, it's not just the kind of visual aesthetic of them that goes into them. Like There are defined traits that each of them have. There is a defined hoodie trait that some NFTs will have, or, or 3D glasses, or a certain kind of beard. And these are all kind of defined properties of the NFT. It's less visual and more trait-based. 
And these traits have kind of associated rarities with them. So maybe a pilot hat on, on a CryptoPunk, a type of NFT, is one of the rarest traits in the collection. But it's it's not always the kind of like most culturally relevant or aesthetically pleasing. And a hoodie trait on a, on a CryptoPunk, again, is far less rare, but it's a, it's considered kind of a cool trait. Everyone thinks like the the like hoodie punks are cool. So it's quite often that you run into these scenarios where rarity would like intuitively seem like it would like kind of be correlated with value. But quite often, it's these other kind of traits that do hold like more significant cultural relevance or, or like aesthetic kind of desire that quote higher prices and demand higher prices. So it's stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance, but that's that's a specific example, I guess. How many collections do you guys have under your portfolio that you're, you know, processing, selling, and appraising? It grows on a daily basis. I think we're at sixty-seven thousand, north of sixty-seven thousand collections right now, which is like seventy-four million NFTs, something like that. What's the total value that you've raised? I mean, what's the highest and the lowest, just to give us a general idea of where the market is now compared to, say, a year? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. We could pull that data, but um, things are definitely down considerably since the top of the market. As with like the the analog assets you see, and I, I guess like the real world outside of crypto, like real estate and physical art, it, when when there are these downturns in the market, it's not as much that the prices go down significantly as they would with more fungible assets. It's just that they're traded far less. So where we see prices down, maybe. 20 to 40% for the kind of more liquid collections. It's really the volume that we've seen steep decreases in since the market downturn, something like 80 plus percent, in some cases, significantly more. So volume tends to outpace price, the the more like illiquid the classes during downturns. I just love you because you, you have a lot of analytics. Like I just looked at Septuck, right? On Septuck, here. yeah. I like Subject. I want the bubble. Subject. Yeah. Anybody is out there and knows about it. I can make an offer for Subject, blowing the bubble or not. And I get that. You have a lot of data on here. Like what's like between all this data and I've looked at the stuff at OpenSea and other platforms where like, where do you guys stand on competitiveness? Is like, do you guys have more data, more analytics, or is this more that you guys between all the Intel, you're more truthful of what this thing is really worth versus what everybody else is trying to sell it for. Yeah, so we're trying to operate in this like interpretation layer of the stack. When you go to a, like a marketplace or kind of these these other like platforms for interacting with NFTs, you're getting kind of the raw data. There's a bid, there's an ask, there's a sale that's delivered to you and you can see it in its kind of raw form. What we try to do is we try to take in this data and draw useful conclusions from it using like some fairly heavy duty infrastructure, machine learning models, et cetera, to create this useful kind of interpretation layer on top of that data. And that becomes incredibly valuable and useful for a, a number of really complex kind of applications, complex market making strategies, complex trading strategies, more advanced financial platforms built around NFT derivative markets, stuff like that. So that's kind of the the like part of the ecosystem that, that we live in and try to, to own. So what's in your NFT portfolio, your personal oh, one? Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard of this collection, but uh, it's it's near and dear to my heart. I would recommend you you start to accumulate if you haven't already. If you guys heard of Crypto Dick Butts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's, but, you, but you own some of those? Yeah, oh yeah, I own quite a few, yeah. Oh my God, you're yeah. so funny. 
crypto What's dick the average like, price night now the, uh, i think i i think the floor right now is 1.5 ETH, but it's really an incredible investment with with such sort of long such longevity tied to it. i mean it's backed by a very simple math it one dick equals one butt it's it's just a, a picture of a, a butt with a dick coming out of it you know it's it's a classic meme <laughs> and uh, the fundamentals are incredibly strong if i were to if i were to like put a, a material amount of my net worth into an NFT today it would be dick butts. It is dick butts, but for anyone else, I would recommend it being dick butts as well. Not financial advice, obviously, but... Yeah, uh, that's great. <laughs> it's so funny. They're, they're actually cute. I'm on the, I'm looking at them now. I mean, the crummy squiggle is not a big deal. I do like Supduck though. I think those are cute. But like, mm-hmm. talk to us about this. Like, the market's just tanked. So many people... Like 98% of the market are struggling, they're failing, they're getting pissed off, they invested tons of money. Like, I mean, I guess we really can't pinpoint why the market failed. I mean, obviously financial, the banks, crypto, I mean, there's so much about this. Um, utility in the back end for most people didn't have the right utility and data. So it's just just a JPEG as far as they're concerned. And I just feel like, like the biggest factor in launching NFTs is really making sure you have the utility data on the back end. You have the value of it if it's going to be within a corporation. Otherwise, I just feel like there's no reason to buy an NFT. So, and I figured the marketing, the PR, the messaging, it's like not just, well, I made a mistake on one thing, but I could fix it. Like NFTs, you need to have the entire like wheel moving all the spokes at the same time or it's not going to work. But like, what, what are we talking about here? Honestly, Nick, because if we look at, I'm NFL, I got badass data on your favorite teams, your favorite players, where you're spending your money, which games you're going to, which merch, I can really target massive data, which means your NFT alone is tremendously valuable for anybody who wants to buy it because it's the data of your spending, but it's also the value to you. you Let can me get, have a look. Oops, you, I have no eyes to look. Oh, okay, so there you go. <laughs> our <laughs> guest today, and our guest today, theory. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So, but the thing is, on this NFT thing, but then, you know, I could target, hey, cross promote, cross reference, right? I could get you discounts of tickets, get you into clubs. So the value on the front end is going to drive the buyers on the back end. The buyers in the back end is going to drive more spending on the front end without that perfect chemistry and recipe. NFTs are just going to fail. And I see 90% of NFTs who don't have that perfect recipe from the front and the back end, for example. Like, how is this playing into the whole NFT market? Because very few companies are actually doing that the right way. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's why we've seen a lot of the downturn. Like, NFTs were, they saw, obviously, like, a a pretty compelling and and aggressive run-up in price over the past two years. What always happens in markets when assets appreciate in value significantly and over a short period of time, the, the gap between fundamental value and speculative value increases substantially. So these things are driven by sort of speculative value alone. It introduces a lot of grift, a lot of scams, a lot of, of sort of uninformed market participants, retail in other terms. And that leads to these really steep run-ups and these really steep downturns because the sophisticated market participants are the ones that extract all the value from retail and retail is left hurt. And when retail is hurt, retail ends up leaving and further exacerbating the downturn. So that's the the kind of like, I I guess, math behind the, the downturn. To touch on the point around 
why companies aren't leveraging NFTs well enough. I think there's a number of reasons to that. One, NFTs are an incredibly broad asset class. There's many things that NFTs can represent. And there isn't sort of a single recipe or playbook to be successful in the NFT space. NFTs can be art and creating a successful art project and and succeeding in the art community is different from launching a successful PFP project, which is where a lot of the value has been centered around in the NFT space, which is different from building brand loyalty programs or merchandising programs, which is what a lot of the kind of incumbent big brands have started to explore in the NFT space, which is different from these... uh, I could go on and on about the different sectors that NFTs are applicable to. And I think... Big brands, as we're talking about this kind of like merchandising brand loyalty vertical with NFTs, are inherently slower to adopt and become sort of coherent or fluent in these new mediums and these new asset classes as they come online. And so they're figuring it out in real time. We'll see how compatible they are. We'll see what level of risk aversion they have. And like, I I guess, like persistent desire to interact with NFTs as the market continues to be choppy and, and go down. We've seen it with, with Meta as of yesterday, pulling their their kind of NFT initiatives less than nine months or so after kicking them off. Big brands are incredibly, I guess, inelastic when it comes to market downturns when entering new categories. And so we'll need another upswing, in my opinion, before we see any kind of meaningful experimentation from these brands that that start to explore some of the use cases that you're referring to with, with regard to kind of back-end meeting front-end, a utility being embedded into established kind of brands and, and franchises. So in the NFT market, obviously, there's been these shifts. Who do you think has been consistent and has done NFTs really well? To name one entity, I think Yugo Labs has has consistently shown that they're able to like participate in the NFT market successfully. Um, and they've done so over a number of, of kind of like changing tides and dynamics. They came to market with Board Ape Yacht Club, obviously successfully launched several subsequent collections from there, ended up purchasing the IP of CryptoPunks, which is the first NFT essentially alongside Mebits, the kind of CryptoPunk sister collection, for lack of a better term. They've shown that they've been able to foray into kind of the metaverse sector of NFTs well, now the gaming sector of NFTs well. I think if there is one entity that has sort of demonstrated a, a, a true fluency and grasp over this new medium and asset class, it is Yuga. Excellent. Awesome. Wait, I think we covered this. How long have you owned this company for? We started it at the beginning of 2020, I believe. So about three years. What did you do prior to this? I was running blockchain development at John Hancock and Manulife. Oh, yeah, that's so funny. We just had this podcast. Like one of my first jobs out of college was at John Hancock on the financial. Oh, nice. I ended up doing all the marketing and created a huge financial talk radio show because I hated the financial space. (laughs) The marketing for it. Do you see, quick question, do you see NFTs being a play in the financial market at all? Or do you think that's still too risky? Yeah, that that's where most of their use cases, in my opinion. I, I I think like it's really easy to grasp NFTs as sort of pictures and art as they have today. But and what really is powerful about NFTs is they allow us to represent anything, any type of like complex esoteric financial asset or instrument in the crypto space on the blockchain, which comes with the the sort of like explosive possibility of innovation that decentralized finance and permissionless composability bring. So yeah, I think like 
we'll look back on these early days of NFTs and say that was that was cute, that was fun seeing NFTs as pictures. But NFTs will largely be financial assets. That'll be ninety five plus percent of the use of NFTs three years from now. So, so all these NFTs that are out in the market that are out there struggling. I mean, I get. I mean, they're cute and everything, but you think a lot of them will just go away and new ones will pop up as they probably into the financial data, or do you think people are going to get smart enough to take what they have because people have arsenals of tons of libraries of NFTs that are not going to sell. They're stuck with them. Or do you think it's just a matter of selling them off at a discount, like a fire sale to companies who need the NFTs for the financial data? Because I feel like financial data, I don't want some cute little foo-foo rabbit or stick figure. I Like you said, I want to use the financial side of this. And I think that's where it's going. But that's just using a financial utility. That means the entire market is kind of crashing, but I feel like the rest of the market, what's left of it, is not going to sell the NFT. It is just going to die itself out. Yeah, a lot of NFT collections will die or PFP collections as the sort of like subsector of wait, wait, the wait, NFT wait, market. Wait, wait, what's a PFP? It's what like you might refer to as an NFT. It's oh. it's the NFT that is sort of uh, like a profile picture. It's a it's a character or something like that. But NFTs themselves are a kind of data structure that are kind of non-fungible representations of some piece of information on chain, on the blockchain. And so while most PFPs, these sort of like cartoon characters will die out because they're, there's limited value in them, they represent sort of experiments in online communities and, and they're limited in scope to that regard. Most NFTs won't have pictures associated with them. They won't be kind of NFTs as as you may know them today. They'll represent a bond, an annuity, an insurance claim, a deed to a real estate property, any well, number of these kind of like inherently financial code. assets. It's a QR code. I mean, they're non-fungible, they're NFTs. It's a QR code. You scan them. The value is grabbing your information, scraping what's on the other side and getting the information you need. I mean, basically NFTs are just going to be, they're just like a QR code. The data is there. They won't look like a cute little cartoon. It's just going to be whatever it is to where you need to locate the data. Yeah. The thing with the data kind of business model in the crypto space is the data is all public anyway. And so you don't need to set up the, the structures that are in place in, in kind of like traditional markets or traditional business models where data is needed to be extracted in these kind of various ways is is sort of inapplicable or not applicable to NFTs because the data is all available. So it's it's more so about representing and building out kind of expressive, permissionless, decentralized financial systems in a are on top of a decentralized technology like blockchain. And that's where like NFTs will kind of fit into a lot of that. Awesome. This is like such a good podcast because we were just talking about NFTs, but I feel like the more we talk about them to the right people, the more intel we get so we could better understand it is not just a cute little cartoon character. And if we want to do our own NFTs on ducks and like bunny rabbits, Marjorie, I mean, unless there's a true financial data collection on the back end or opens up something, there's no point to even do an NFT in the market anymore. I mean, I just feel like, right, Kate, I'm sorry, you're quiet. Nick, don't be quiet. <laughs> Am I right? Was that a question? Kind of, sort of rhetorical. That sounded like a statement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's why Nick was like, what's going on? <laughs> Is my, am I inaccurate? I mean, not that we don't want people to do NFTs, but right now we can't really tell you to do an NFT just because it is just a JPEG. Do it if you have the right 
data, the right financials, the capabilities, the funding, R&D, the back end to do it the right way. Right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you always have the artists who, you know, are digital artists. And this is yeah. the, a way that came about for them to really sell their assets where they could, you know, put them in a gallery. So I think there's also that model will still exist. But, but, but the problem is, but how do, because you can't want to make them. This is where I'm going to argue this. I get it. To Marjorie's point, we want, like, if I'm an artist and I have, like, I want to do 20 or 30 or 50 things, I want to get them out there versus you coming to a museum, right? But obviously, you can't put it on a wall, so I'm going to have to lower the cost, you know, whatever, like, to Nick, your point, Upstart, whatever they say it's worth and everything on a limited series, doing thousands and thousands of them, I have to push them out to make my money back. I understand that concept, but... What really is the motivation behind doing an NFT right now if the value's down? I mean, and I get the artist standpoint, I do. Artists, that's talent. You pay for the talent, right? But I feel like if we want to do a really good NFT, it's got to be more than just pushing our pretty pictures out there. I don't know. I think I'm just, because like I think I'm all about their cute JPEGs. And if I have a, if I have one of Marjorie's paintings, right? She's an artist. Mm-hmm. And I post it everywhere. Anybody could screenshot and share them and text them. Like there's no protection of a true NFT. Is that correct? Yeah, you could screenshot it, but it's it's not actual ownership of the NFT. I can take a picture of a piece of art and I, I can I can take that around. NFTs are are really powerful. One beyond the art, especially as as we were talking about PFPs specifically, as as this experiment in kind of online community building and online identity, your PFP becomes your identity online, and other people with that PFP or, or PFPs from that collection represent your community, and it, it is this like interesting experiment in re-establishing what communities we belong to and how we can kind of capture value from the communities we belong to, from the tastes we have online, things like that. We're, we're essentially just like taking representations of ourselves and, and all the kind of mimetic aspects of our life and our digital life and the communities we belong to, etc., and turning them into an asset that is so fundamentally compatible with financial systems that it, it creates a, like a, a quite compelling opportunity for kind of mature actual economies to form around what has largely been a, a kind of intangible aspect of our lives and a, a quite a material aspect of our lives. It's like avatars. They're reskitting avatars now, turning those into NFTs. Mm-hmm. And I do like the avatars. <laughs> I do. I have a few of my favorite avatars, but um, they weren't NFTs when I got them. Because I was just yeah. on Discord, whatever, you could just create your own avatar. I think Facebook now has your own avatar for your profile photo. But yeah, so this is just becoming so mainstream to like get away from your actual photo to what represents who you are and where you are. I just, but I love that you kept saying the financial aspect of it is where the big data, where it's going to become like mm-hmm. worthy and worth the time doing it. I think we've got to understand and grasp that concept in order to move the NFT market forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 about sort of expanding the possibilities of decentralized financial markets. NFTs are at the core of that, and that they are what power that essentially. Got it. Well, who are some of your favorite NFTs out there in the market besides little the duck butt one? Uh, dick butts are hard to beat. I don't know. I, I, I feel disloyal talking about any other type of NFT. You're cheating. Uh, I don't mind the cheating. <laughs> you know, yacht club. But like, yeah. have you seen 
tremendous ones that you really like out there that you see these guys are going to go to distance? Yeah, I mean, like I think crypto punks are are obviously like really historical and and they represent uh, like a really kind of diehard community within the crypto space. And they obviously kind of kicked off NFTs are the reason NFTs are a thing to a large degree. I think the sort of generative art part of NFTs, things like Chromie Squiggles or Fidenzas, Ringers, all of these kind of art blocks projects are like really compelling and represent this this kind of cool futuristic next step in contemporary art. It's the kind of the current era of, of contemporary art in a, a kind of digital world. Yeah, there, there's a lot more doodles I think are interesting, even as as they start to make decisions that look kind of less in line with the the kind of crypto native world in which they uh, they originated and try to appeal to a larger mainstream audience. I think they're, they're still kind of an interesting PFP. I don't know, there's, there's a lot of them. Yeah. They're, they're all great, but dick butts remain king. <laughs> forever forever, forever. <laughs> we're just gonna go back at you in a year or two and that's just gonna be the it the beyond the number one when he has oh, yeah. his big dick butt mansion <laughs> yeah of course of course <laughs> you act like i don't already have it you know uh, maybe you do <laughs> he has a big dick butt little in the front little fountain yeah exactly quick question before we run off time where is upshot where do you feel upshot's going from here is it evolving as the nft market evolves to the financial spectrum or where are you guys ex- going to expand into ai i mean where are you going to take your company in the next three to five years yeah so i mean like the reason we built a lot of this appraisal infrastructure is to be able to support some of the more interesting financial applications of nfts so that's what we're starting to do we're starting to kind of build out more financial infrastructure around nfts building out ways for people to take out loans against their NFTs or earn money by like loaning capital against NFT backed loans, building out uh, kind of NFT indexes. So instead of needing to pick individual NFTs to buy into, people can just buy into a basket of different collections as kind of price and weighted by appraisals, building out NFT perpetual products like, like derivative kind of synthetic products. NFT kind of liquidity sinks for trading NFTs at scale or at size on the blockchain. So that's that's what we're trying to do is, is on the back of these appraisals, you can start to kind of realize the compelling potential of how NFTs can reshape our financial systems. So Awesome. So for everybody out there, Nick, where can everybody find you guys now? If you want to buy an NFT, you just need to make sure the appraisals are not getting ripped off. If you have, a, I guess, a digital series of NFTs and you need them appraised to better get them out to the market to offload them, where can we send everybody? Yeah, upshot.xyz is the address. We're That's active on Twitter as well. Why do you guys upshot. do XYZ? Sorry, why XYZ? XYZ is just the best TLD there is. You know, .com's boring. It's antiquated. .io is too techy. Dot XYZ is is kind of the the crypto TLD. Got it. I yeah. like it. <laughs> I like Thanks. it. Dot XYZ. Okay. Yeah. And where can everybody find you directly? Can we get LinkedIn? I'm Twitter mostly. I don't even I don't know if I have a LinkedIn anymore. Twitter, yeah. Awesome. Oh my God, Nick. It was so good having you on the show talking about this. Like, honestly, super, super helpful. I mean, not just for us, but like for the podcast, because we're getting remember when the metaverse like like last year was all about Web3 and the metaverse. And there was so much unknown and everybody, they didn't even know what they were talking about or like what it was. 
and like mm-hmm. where, where it played into this. I just feel like the only clarity we really have right now is like, like where we're going in the future, not where we've been, what's going on right now. But I feel like the clarity coming from these conversations is really where we see this actually having a place in society that's actually helpful and utility. Mm. So I feel like people are so good at saying this is where it needs to be, where it should be, but we can't explain how we got here. Yeah. 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 It's an exciting future for sure. It's so good to have you on the show, Nick. Keep us posted. Definitely how you guys do. This is Sarah Miller, Marjorie DeHay with Nick Emmons and everybody welcome and goodbye to Access Effect Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.